from the ACC Lounge in the Ivy Court Inn and Suites, South Bend, Indiana, the location of today's show. Welcome to the inaugural episode of the Ohio State of Mind. Sitting to my right, Tyler Danberg. I'm Caleb Spinner, and I am excited to be doing the show with you, Tyler. I am too, Caleb. Looking forward to breaking down Buckeye Athletics and recapping a couple big games early on this week and a big weekend slate ahead. Story of this show, you know, aside from me wanting to get on the headsets with you guys more than the, the SGSR calls that we have together, is I've had Ohio State friends and a lot of uh, fans come up to me and they'll go, well, what, what uh, Buckeye Athletics are on this week? And what happened, you know, as a kind of a recap deal. So that's what we're going to be doing. Uh, we're going to have a Monday and Friday release. Monday we'll be talking about what happened over the weekend and previewing the week. And then vice versa on Fridays. Uh, both of those will release at 6 a.m., We'll be talking to you about everything Ohio State Athletics. And, and the size of the sport at Ohio State doesn't matter. You know, we'll be talking a little bit about uh, wrestling, about uh, swimming and diving that are going on this week. Not necessarily the size of football is, but, you know, we, we still value that and we still should talk about them because these athletes are amazing on our campus. And it's also a bonus that a lot of these programs at Ohio State are top tier. You look at women's hockey. Number two team in the country, volleyball, a top 10 team for the entirety of the season. So a lot of these different sports, highly regarded in their respective leagues and sports, and we're just going to continue to shine some light on them. So let's recap what happened over this week. It was a huge week in sports, of course, coming off of a weekend where Ohio State unfortunately dropped the ball against their rival Michigan, uh, 42-27. Ohio State needed a pick-me-up. And that came on Tuesday night against number one Duke. Upset of the century, if you ask me. Uh, Ohio State defeating Duke 71-66. to What are your general thoughts before we get into something specific uh, about that game? Well, first off, I think it starts all in the second half. The first half, it was feeling like, my goodness, just when the week of Ohio State athletics couldn't get that much worse. The first half was just a little bit of everything. Ohio State started off really strong. Buckeyes started to decline, and then they went down 13 at the half. Second half, totally different story. They hit their shots. Duke didn't. They made some big plays, and Zed Key was a guy that I think was the best player on the floor in that game, and without him, Ohio State probably would not have came out victorious. Really love Zed Key. Best performance of his young career, and I think the future is bright for that sophomore. And that's one of the things I wanted to get to you is specifically Zed Key. Of course, he stepped in. He's a sophomore right now. He's he's become the guy to lean on to take some of the weight off of EJ Liddell, who without a doubt is the lead player for this Ohio State team. But there has to be a pattern of this in my mind for Ohio State to be a really good team. I went into class the next day. Of course, um, Maxwell Cohen, our, our president of Scarlet and Gray Sports Radio, and I were in the arena on the call for that game. Uh, you can always listen to our SGSR broadcast at scarletandgraysportsradio.com. But I come into class one day, and we're talking about this, um, and somebody says, well, because Ohio State beat the number one team, does that mean they're the number one team in the nation now? And needless to say, no, that's not how that works. But then it got me thinking, what does Ohio State have to do to become the lead team in this in the nation? And I think one of those things is relying on somebody other than EJ Liddell. And like I said, Zed Key's stepping up. He's filling that role. But you have to get somebody else in there. And there's a lot of options that Ohio State can go to for that. One of my favorites is Justin Arns, right? I, I love to see a little bit more from him, 
specifically outside the arc, uh, shooting that three ball, kind of drawing the defense out from that center where we like to see him. But who are some of the others in your mind? Well, I think Justin Arns is a great guy to have out there. Another guy to look out for, especially in the backcourt, Jamari Wheeler creates shots. Really good shot creator. Would love to see him get a little bit more involved in scoring. But Ohio State, I think the key for them is to not find that guy to rely on outside of Liddell and Key, but to find consistently a good rotation of players because you look at their experience and the players that they have coming into the season, they tallied over already 1,000 games played as a roster. So a lot of grad transfers, not a lot of new freshmen. But speaking of which, if it's going to be anybody for me, it's going to be Malachi Branham. Mm-hmm. And he's a young guy. He's a freshman, highly touted Mr. Basketball from Ohio, St. Vincent, St. Mary's. I mean, come on. That's pretty good school. There's this guy, I don't know if you've heard about him, but uh, I think his name's LeBron. I, I, I think you're pronouncing it wrong. I think it's uh, LeBron James. Oh, but okay. we, don't, we don't know because he's not a big guy. We've never heard his name pronounced no. before. It's, it's really tough for us. But yeah, a lot of expectations for Branham, but through the first six games, he's really shown that he can be integral on both sides of the ball for Chris Holtman immediately. And I think that he's going to continue to get better as the season rolls on. He's been a really good facilitator too, not only scoring, but you saw it in the Akron game was the first showcase of it, that dish to Zed Key for the win. Well, not really for the win. It wasn't a buzzer beater really because we still had those ceremonial three-tenths, but uh, as close to a buzzer beater as you've gotten this season, you, you're starting to see the roles of these younger players and some of them aren't really young. You're starting to see roles transform. And each player get really specialized into a certain aspect of the game. Justin Arns becoming a really good three-point shooter. Malachi Brandon becoming really good with assists. Uh, Zed Key really good with post scoring. And you're starting to see these pieces specialize. And that can lead to some really cool um, lineup rotations. We're about to call uh, hockey, as some people might have put together. Us being in Notre Dame uh, on Friday and Saturday here can only mean one thing. We're going to be at the at the uh, Ohio State Notre Dame hockey games, which we are. Once again, listen to those at SGSR's website. But what when you look at hockey, you see the lines together, right? The same three players play together at the same time on the ice, and they switch on and they switch off at the same point. I think you start to see that with with basketball. Chris Holtman starts to look at these pieces, how they complement each other. Does uh, is Malachi Branham being able to assist uh, Justin Arns more valuable to have on the floor than a Zed Key, EJ Liddell, big man lineup? Or you're starting to find where these pieces specifically fit together, and I think that's something that would look really cool and could potentially lead to a lot of success for the Buckeyes. That's a great comparison, Caleb, to a hockey line change because that's exactly what Chris Holtman does. You see, if you go on Twitter, you always see Chris Holtman get called meticulous. He's Mm -hmm. really attentive to detail. And at least through the first six games of the season, Caleb, there have been different key performers or standouts that have been in each game. It's been Michi Johnson. It's been Malachi Branham. It's been Zed Key on Tuesday. So every game, as Holtman starts to get more people involved, there's always one new standalone player to the game that really made an impact. And hopefully they can maintain that because that can make or break a team when you look at it. Now, I'll, I will say one of the guys who I was excited to see step up um, 
on in that game on Tuesday was uh, Cedric Russell. Of course, a guy who comes highly touted in from Louisiana, played his last four seasons there, graduated sports management degree, led the team in scoring, was all-conference, all-state, all-district. I could go on and on with the accolades <laughs> here, but I feel like our listeners would fall asleep if I did. <laughs> But point being, you see these guys who maybe you haven't heard of in terms of EJ Liddell, Zed Key, those guys who, Michi Johnson, they're walking around campus, you can pick them out easily. Not necessarily the same thing with Jimmy Soto's. Well, maybe because he's TikTok and YouTube yeah. famous, but Cedric Russell, um, Jamari Wheeler's starting to become a big name, but still, I don't know if he's recognizable out of Penn State. And to see Cedric Russell step up, shoot perfect from three from that, and really hit some big ones. For the Buckeyes to, to keep to keep within the within striking distance of Duke after that uh, double digit halftime deficit, I think you're you're and I'm enjoying to see this team come together and seeing different people get better looks on the floor because I think that Ohio State's strength relies in their depth and who they're able to put on the floor and how many people they're able to put on the floor and I think that's something you see on Tuesday. Well, the Buckeyes they can erase leads like no other team in college basketball because they've got three-point specialists. Justin Arns, he's that catch-and-shoot guy around the perimeter. As great as he is when he's cold, he can be a little cold, but he is predictable because he doesn't like to take too many inside twos. He tried to lay it up and in and unfortunately came up short against Duke and the entire gym, I think, either was just in shock or they didn't they didn't really react because he's only taken nine two-point attempts over the last two seasons. But Cedric Russell, a guy up, he's the ace up Holtman's sleeve when he hits his threes. That's exactly what he did. He cut those leads down, hit two free throws down the stretch late in the game to seal the victory. He's a guy that is just one of many that can come off the bench and make an impact. Now you bring up free throws, obviously one of the two uh, major weak weaknesses I saw from Ohio State, the other being turnovers in that game, two things that you know Ohio State's going to try to nip in the butt before they become greater issues. Um, but with Duke, let's talk about them for a little bit before we get into our women's basketball uh, breakdown of their game against Syracuse. Duke is not a bad team. And the fact that an unranked team upset them, it does not shake me, shake my faith in the Duke Blue Devils as one of the top programs in the country. They just came off Gonzaga beaten the former best team in the nation. Now I believe number five is where they drop down to. But Gonzaga is a fantastic program. For a team like uh, for a team like Duke to beat Gonzaga, that tells me that Duke has something special. Of course, Paolo Benchero projected to be the number one pick. He was held to 14 points, not the top scorer. He was behind uh, Wendell Moore Jr. with 17. But this loss does not mean that Duke's season's over. At the... At the uh, Probably the exact opposite. I lost my words there. Probably the exact opposite that their season is still beginning. And this was their first loss. So they're off to still a very good start of 7-1. and one, Something that people respect the heck out of. At least I do. That's a fantastic record. But what do you think Duke is going to take from that loss going forward? And how do you think this is going to impact their season? I think they are going to definitely take a look at that loss. And try and talk about hey, how can we adjust and follow up games after a big win? Because that Gonzaga win is huge, Caleb. It was looking like the Zags couldn't be stopped after they annihilated UCLA a couple days before mm -hmm. the Blue Devils took on the Bulldogs. So with any big game and when you knock off the number one, it's going to be a little bit tough of a hangover. And honestly, Ohio State on Sunday when they played Penn State – 
who knows what that's going to look like coming off that big win, maybe some adrenaline, maybe just uh, some rust they need to shake off or they're still riding high. But Duke, I think they're going to definitely look at adjusting. Mike Krzyzewski, really good adjustment coach, and things just didn't work out down the stretch. I think they're going to have to take a look at using more guys in the rotation. Think about how do we get Joey Baker more involved. He's a really good shooter, hit some big threes for Duke, but it wasn't nearly enough. So getting different guys involved and finding that balance, I think is going to be a key for Duke the rest of the way. Yeah, Joey Baker, one of those surprises I saw off the bench. Uh, Duke's next game, December 14th versus South Carolina State. Uh, you can catch that one on ACC Network. But now let's switch over to uh, women's basketball because you got a little bit ahead of me here of t- talking about the Penn State game. We're going to put a pause on that. We'll tell you what's coming up uh, later on in the show here. But number 18, women's basketball falls to Syracuse, 97-91. I think this is another case. It, you know, it's the team's first loss for the, for the Buckeyes. Ohio State has yet to play an in-conference opponent, which they will on Sunday, which we'll talk about in a minute. Um, but I think if you look at the box chart, specifically scoring, I think this is a problem that the Buckeyes have. And, and on, the men team, on the men's team, we just talked about it too. But on the women's side, putting your eggs in one basket, or specifically two. You had Taylor Mikesell, who, had, who is one of the leading scorers, which is awesome to see somebody young coming off the bench. But then J.C. Sheldon, um, the two leading scorers. Sheldon had, I believe, 23. Mikesell had 21. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong on that. But to have them, and then the next highest person is nine points, that's a pretty severe drop-off in that scoring chart. And so as soon as you get these people involved, like a Thierry Poole, who we've seen step up with 11 uh, against Bellarmine and 12 against Cincinnati, they have the weapons there. I think it's just a matter of using them and getting them to the basket. Well, I think it starts in the front court, Caleb, because Ohio State, not a lot of pieces down low because they lose two huge transfers going last year to UConn mm-hmm. and Texas A&M, respectively. So they were already down in that regard. Right now, Coach McGruff, he's playing four guards in retrospect, and then they've got Tanea Beecham usually coming off the bench. Kateri Poole can kind of play everything. She's a slasher, really. And oh, yeah. She only had a couple buckets, but they came at good times. But for OSU to win games, especially against big opponents in a big environment like the Carrier Dome, They're going to need good performances from all four starting guards and then coming off the bench. And they got two great ones from Sheldon and Mike Sell, and that's going to continue to be the constant. Those two, they have been phenomenal to start. Two of the main reasons why Ohio State still has the number one scoring offense in the entire country, but Rebecca Mikulashikova, yes, she was in double figures for the fifth straight game, but she's going to need to take on that heavier volume as we continue to move forward into Big Ten play, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Caleb, I I think that the Buckeyes, even when they played solid basketball, they shot the ball relatively well, they made big shots. Syracuse, they just played immaculate basketball. 97 points against a solid OSU defense against an 18th-ranked team. They just played their best basketball. And that's one of the things that I have a problem with about unranked teams is you never know where they stack up. So, like, with Ohio State, for example, beating number one Duke, the men's team I'm talking about right now, how far up do they go? And, like, I was asked, like, how far does Ohio State skyrocket right now? 
And it kind of hurts to not know where they rank in the unranked teams, just as a, oh, they're unranked. Well, who does that put them ahead of, do, you, do we think? So it, it, you could say, oh, yeah, they'll shoot up to 12 maybe, beating the number one team. But uh, that all depends on how many teams you want to put in front of them. Same thing with Syracuse. How good are the Orange? We don't know. Because they're, they're not in that ranked pool, so how far will they shoot up after number, number 18? Will they get in the rankings? Will they just go higher in this unofficial, unranked pool? Who knows? But Syracuse is a fantastic team. They had their two best scoring quarters in the second half, which I think is going to be a concern for Ohio State defensively. But you were talking about Rebecca Mikula-Shakova. She not only has to be the option down low and be the force in the paint that Dorka Juhas was, but you also see the rebounding coming big. Dorka Juhas, who's the transfer to UConn that you said over the offseason, uh, for those people who don't know, she was a tenacious rebounder under, uh, in the paint under the basket. I don't think you see that yet from Rebecca Mikulashikova. I think it can be there. You can certainly see that. You, you see um, some of the guards are getting a lot more rebounds than I thought they would, J.C. Sheldon specifically. Um, but I, I feel like that's one of the areas where this women's basketball team, if they just get that and they're able to create more shots off those offensive rebounds, I think you see them start to become a force in women's basketball. You can definitely tell that Mikulashikova is continuing to find the power, but what makes her so special is that for her size, 6'4", she's got great finesse. She's a really good finisher. She was top three on the team a year ago in field goal percentage, and she's the big option down low. You don't see that too often. She's a good free throw shooter. She's got what you want to see on the perimeter and with some mid-range game, but when she starts to find that more high-octane power down low, that's when she really gets dangerous, and I hope that she finds it. I think she will as we go forward. Now, let's move into what we have to look forward to for the weekends. Of course, uh, the men's and women's swim and dive teams are at the Toyota U.S. Open all day from uh, that began, what was it, yesterday, I believe it started, uh, and goes to the fourth, if I'm not mistaken. So we wish them some good luck. But then we get to uh, tonight, 7 p.m., the first game of the two-game series, the last one that women's hockey has of the 2021 campaign. They won't play again until Lindenwood in January, uh, but against Minnesota Duluth. And that is a matchup that even though Ohio State plays in a rink with only like seven to ten rows of bleachers in it for seating, Ohio State women's hockey is a fantastic team, great sport to watch. They have one of the best goalie rotations that I've seen in, co in uh, college hockey. But number two Buckeyes, number nine uh, Minnesota Duluth, going to be a fantastic one. You can watch that one on BTN Plus with subscription, but free on, uh, on those campuses as you're looking at it. Number two in the nation behind Wisconsin, uh, Tyler. And, of course, the Buckeyes play the Badgers uh, coming up soon. So what would you look at in terms of what sets these teams apart and what Ohio State specifically can do to get ahead of the Badgers? Well, I, I think what sets Ohio State and Wisconsin apart, Buckeyes have more league wins. Wisconsin, mm -hmm. they have dominated in some non-conference play because they got an early edge on their season, even earlier than when the Buckeyes started in late September. Yeah. So that's one thing to take a look at. But also, Wisconsin topped Ohio State in that weekend series early on in October. That was in Madison, so a lot can definitely change, and a lot has transpired since then and when they're going to meet in early to mid-January, which is going to be awesome 
in Columbus. But Wisconsin, they had one overtime win, then they had a two-goal win against the Buckeyes in that series. And Ohio State played really good hockey. The Badgers just outstrengthened them. And what was so interesting about that series is that they played three lines out of each team's four. So they Mm -hmm. went to the first three, and that's that. When we look at Minnesota Duluth, Caleb, the Buckeyes second-ranked. Minnesota Duluth ninth-ranked. And for UMD, it's eat, sleep, breathe hockey. But there's a lot that separates the two. Ohio State, they're star-studded. They're loaded top to bottom. Their fourth line can beat a lot of teams in the WCHA. And they're also really good in the power play, and they have an unstoppable penalty kill. They're perfect on the year. So when you have them either on the power play or shorthanded, the Buckeyes are tough to stop. And I think that Minnesota Duluth, when they get opportunities, when they have chances on net, they're going to have to take them to try and stop Ohio State. And not only, you know, you speak speak about uh, how good they are in the power play, and I would just generalize that to goal scoring and it. you know, without narrowing it down, of course, you look back at the Minnesota State series, and I would argue that every school in Minnesota, for the most part, eats, sleeps, and breathes hockey. Same with Wisconsin. <laughs> same with everything in Canada up there, too. Um, but you look at that, and granted, it was against um, Avery Stillwell, who was a, uh, a freshman coming into her first game playing goalie since high school. She actually plays tennis at you uh, at um, MSU for the uh, for the Mavericks. So. Granted, it's against an inexperienced goaltender in the collegiate uh, spectrum, but still to put up a 9-0 shutout in the second game of that series tells me that Ohio State can put pucks in net off of several looks. You saw some off-centering passes. You saw some uh, clap bombs from the neutral zone or from just inside the neutral zone past the blue line. But you saw a variety of different looks that Ohio State ran with, and I think that's something that makes them really deadly um, and, of course, Ohio State riding the momentum coming off the D1 and D.C. tournament, 5-2 win against St. Lawrence, and then a 4-2 win against Penn State. Another really good uh, out-of-conference series, which I don't know why the Big Ten doesn't have. Uh, I don't know why there's this isn't a bigger deal, women's hockey here, because I feel like you have a huge market of hockey fans there. But, once again, December 3rd and 4th, women's hockey versus Minnesota Duluth on Big Ten Network+. Plus. Let's move down to uh, the wrestling. We'll touch on that a little bit. They're at the Cliff Keen Invitational in Las Vegas, Nevada. Now, I'm friends with a couple uh, wrestlers. Caleb Romero, I went to high school with him. He actually endorsed my campaign, unsuccessful campaign, for <laughs> freshman class president uh, back in the day. And then the, the Hepners, of course, are, are pretty close. But um, I've been seeing that they were at the UFC uh what is it? The UFC Museum is that out there? Yeah, their their headquarters. Yeah, are the head Vegas, the headquarters. So they were posting headquarter pics uh, on their Instagrams and their social media. So I know that they're having a good time out there, getting ready for that. So we wish them luck at there as well. But then you get again today, Ohio State, uh, Notre Dame men's hockey. We'll break that down a little bit more in our pregame show. Uh, we're gonna go live about seven fifteen from the Compton Ice Arena in South Bend, Indiana, on the campus of Notre Dame. One of my favorite campuses in all of the nation, I think, maybe even the world. It's a little slice of heaven that God put on earth here. Um, and, I, and I know we're going to be walking around campus after here a little bit just to get the feel of it. It's kind of weird to be here on a school day. I don't think I've ever been here in the, in the hustle and bustle of things, so it'll be interesting to see there. And I've never been here on campus in November. It's a totally different beast. 
came a couple times in the summer very briefly, but when you wake up, you see that South Bend haze. It's almost like you can hear the flutes from Rudy starting the play. Oh, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a magical place, and it's going to be a pretty nice environment for this top 25 matchup in men's hockey. One of the rare movies that I remember you saying, and I hope I'm not going to get in trouble for saying this, gets you emotional. I know there are several for me, so by, by no means am I making fun of that, because there is, are several. There are two. The, the second okay. one might make you cringe. First one's Rudy, obviously. You see sure. him get carried off the field. It's You see him on the bench, on the Rudy, campus. Oh, Rudy, it's, Rudy. When he gets accepted into Notre Dame, it, I, in my opinion, highlight top, of the film. Top three sports movies seem. Anyways, I can remember this one in the theaters. Disney's Zootopia. Oh, my Lord. Bald like a baby. What? Yes. Why? It's when, an animated children's movie, Tyler. <laughs> when uh, when the fox gets denied from the the Cub Scouts or the Fox Scouts when he's uh, when he's different, it's just it just struck a chord. Apparently, I I don't know. I I felt something I hadn't felt in a while. Really tug at the heartstrings. I think the last time I cried during a movie was uh, Avengers Endgame, but of course that's completely justified, yeah. and we have no need for an explanation of that. No. Anyways, <laughs> anyways. Uh, another one that we have coming up here, women's volleyball uh, against Howard. This is the NCAA tournament round one. It'll be in Cavelli Center in Columbus here. That's going to be a good one. Ohio State women's volleyball has been something to uh, behold this season. I know the men are getting ready. I was talking to uh, Ben Brom of the men's team in the elevator on the, on the way down when we were getting ready to leave here last night. And, uh, and I said, how are you feeling for the season? Uh, are, you, are you getting ready? And he goes, we're getting ready to win. And that's, a, that's the mentality you need to have. But uh, the women, you can watch that on ESPN+. Plus. Uh, I knew you were at a couple of the women's games. Do you have any thoughts going into that one? Yeah, so it's going to be an interesting sub-regional. Ohio State, they get a match against Howard. Howard's kind of back and forth on the season. They don't play too many big teams. I think they had a couple big non-conference clashes. I believe one with LSU. I could be wrong. But then if Ohio State advances, they're going to have the winner of North Carolina and Tennessee with the chance to go to regionals. North Carolina, they're a team. They won over 20 matches. Tennessee playing in a tough SEC. So that's going to be a really interesting sub-regional final. Buckeyes pretty much control their own destiny. When they're at their best, they're tough to stop. They've got one of the best middle blocking and outside hitter attacking combinations in all of college volleyball. They're going to need to continue to ride Erica Davis and Riley Rader and Gabby Gonzalez, Mia Grunzi coming back off injury. When they use those pieces, they're tough to stop. And Jen Flynn Oldenburg, second year already, and she's doing wonders for the program. They, like I said before, control their own destiny moving forward in the tournament. And, of course, we also have something that I have to bring up, um, you know, in terms of how good that volleyball team is. Just they have performed to a level I don't know if many people expect it. I know Ohio State Volleyball is something that is known statewide for their success, of course, but to come up looking as good as they are going into the sub-regional right now, I know that's something that a lot of fans around the nation are happy for, and especially in the state. You mentioned your sister is a big fan of OSU Volleyball. I have a couple people back home at Mechanicsburg who follow volleyball pretty closely. So this is going to be something that the entire city of Columbus, dare I say, can get behind and, and will be in attendance for if they can. Yeah, and the fact that Columbus is the host city for the national championship, regardless of whether Ohio State's going to be in it, we hope to see them there, definitely have a chance at it. But 
the fans are going to be there regardless. And the Cavelli Center, the home of Buckeye Volleyball, throughout the season, Caleb, has been packed oh, yeah. for most games. Like a Sunday afternoon match when football's on and you've got everything going on with the NFL and outside of it, the Cavelli Center is rocking. It's packed. Awesome environment. One of the best in college volleyball. And like you said, OSU Volleyball is something that a lot of people can get behind statewide, and it's starting to become really well-known on campus, too. And Cavelli, a smaller arena than the Schottenstein Center, so when it's packed, that doesn't necessarily mean that, oh, it's a smaller amount of people just fitting into a smaller stadium. No, no, no. They pour (laughs) into that place. They fill it up. They make sure that it's standing room only for those games. Uh, We also have fencing at the Elite Invitational in Columbus starting at 9 a.m. on Saturday. Um... But now we get into the Sunday games. And these are the big ones, I would argue, uh, specifically for what they mean for these teams going forward. Women's basketball uh, against Purdue at 2 p.m. That one, uh, that one starts tip-off. That's going to be a great one. Again, you, you, we talked about it a lot, so we probably won't dwell on it much right now. But women's basketball, they have an opportunity to get that loss out of their mouth at Syracuse and really get back on track with things. Of course, Syracuse is their first loss. You ask me, why are they off the track right now after their first loss? In the figurative sense, right? Get back in the win column, get some confidence back. I'm sure some people uh, are down in the dumps after that Syracuse loss, something that wasn't really expected given the rankings. But this is a chance to prove that Ohio State can right their wrongs and get back in the win column with this win. And... The Buckeyes, what they do really well is they win Big Ten games. They have a really good conference record, and that's how you started off, get the bad taste out of the mouth and win the Big Ten opener, and then you go and ride conference play and continue to just try and berate teams, really. Beat them as much as you can and prove that that Syracuse loss does not define who Ohio State is, and it's early on in the season, and... The Orange, they're a good team. So it's not like that was a major upset. But at the way Ohio State is still playing, they're still the top-scoring offense in the country. I think they're going to continue to do so. What the Buckeyes do really well is they just dominate. And when they dominate, they put your entire team and expose it. So look for the Buckeyes to try and make a statement against Purdue and continue to just try and break down the Big Ten as much as they can for their benefit. Now, the last one we'll talk about here, men's basketball at Penn State, 7.30 p.m. uh, on Big Ten Network. But I think one of the things that I have highlighted in my mind for that game is Jamari Wheeler. It's his return to Penn State after playing four years, transferring to Ohio State to be a graduate. Now, by me saying watch for him to have a big game, that's not implying that he's got any bad blood to Penn State. That's not implying that um, he's going to go off as a, oh, look what you lost kind of deal. But you always see this happen when a, when a player goes back to play their previous team is a sort of, okay, I enjoy being back with you guys. I enjoy playing with you guys. Watch me tear the lights out of the stadium right here. And so I think he's going to be somebody good to come off um, – and look to him for a good scoring option. Of course, the usual suspects are going to be in full force for the Buckeyes, you have to imagine. So uh, I think this will be a good one for uh, the conference schedule for Ohio State men's basketball. He was a really good scorer in four years, too, at Penn State. Great facilitator, but he shot the ball and scored the ball at a high amount compared to where he is right now. So he's definitely going to be comfortable 
at Penn State and in that home gym, which I think he's going to play to his advantage Four years at Penn State, especially in college basketball, when you're a guy as good as Wheeler, if you stay at your respective school for that long, it shows that there really are no hard feelings between you and the university. So I think Wheeler, it'll be a nice homecoming for him, but it'll probably be bittersweet as he's going to come in with a chip on his shoulder and lead the Buckeyes looking for their first conference victory. Of course, we thank you so much for listening to The Ohio State of Mind, episode number one in the books. You can catch Tyler and myself on the Ohio State at Notre Dame Hockey Series tonight at 7.30, tomorrow at 6 p.m. on scarletandgraysportsradio.com. Make sure to follow Scarlet and Gray Sports Radio on our Twitter and Instagrams for the updates as to when we are on the air. We are the student home of Ohio State Athletics. We're bringing you so much good content on the podcast side of things, on the live broadcast side of things, venturing up and beyond in the world of Ohio State Athletics. So once again, that'll do it for us. For Tyler Danberg, I'm Caleb Spinner. That's the show. We're out of here.